Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, we dig into the world of share trading. Uh, I had a guest on the show, Louise Bedford. She's awesome. She's the co-founder of uh, Trading Game, um, but she's had an amazing story about how she actually got into it. Um, you know the challenges she faced, the the hurdles, and all of this kind of stuff she had to go through. We talk. We get really granular. It was actually really good. That the episode became quite yin and yang. We had a lot of. We went deep into the details. We talked about data. We talked about numbers. And then we really spent a lot of time talking about the mindset that is required for success. And one of the things that I really liked about this episode is that it it wasn't a shares versus property discussion. It was actually looking at what are the characteristics that make you successful regardless of which one you choose and how can you think about this kind of stuff to achieve greater levels of success faster. Now, the, the objective of this podcast is to help people to achieve a life of freedom, choice, and abundance faster than ever they ever thought possible. And so I think this is a really valuable um, conversation for you to expose yourself to so you can start thinking about um, different ways that you can in, you speed up your pathway to that goal. So I hope you enjoyed it and enjoy it as much as I enjoyed um, being a part of it with Louise. I thought it was a really great episode uh, and I'm look forward, look forward to your feedback. Make sure that you share this, rate this, um, give it to a friend, family member or loved one. Uh, help us to spread the word of the podcast. Help us to help more people just like you. And if you've got any feedback, shoot us an email, hello at dash.com.au and I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me today is a very special guest, Louise Bedford. Now, Louise is the best-selling author of a bunch of books on uh, share trading. Um, she's also uh, the partner of Chris Tate, who's been on this episode, or the, the founder, co-founder of, uh, sorry, more specifically, the co-founder of The Trading Game with Chris Tate, who has been on the show before. Um, we've been in contact for some time. Louise, it's awesome to have you on the show. I'm really looking forward to digging into a bunch of stuff today. Let's talk. Let's talk about all kinds of things. I want to get to know you. I want to get to understand your background in shares, why shares. Obviously, I'm a property proponent. I also want to talk about the, the psychology around all that kind of stuff. But before we get into that, firstly, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, it's fantastic to be here. Goose, really, it has been such a long-term working side-by-side with each other situation where Mm. a lot of the people that you know are the people that I know as well. So it is an honour to be here. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much. Look, for those uh, for those people who are listening to the show who have absolutely no idea who you are, I know I gave a little short soliloquy there. Why don't you give us a little bit of a bit of a fill in? Who are you? What do you do? You know, why is it important? Why are you here? Sure. So I've been trading since 1990 and I had a corporate position. I loved mm-hmm. my job. I know a lot of people don't enjoy their roles, but I just adored my role. And unfortunately for me, my body decided not to cooperate. I had some difficulty with my hands and arms. I couldn't move my hands and arms for three years. So I had to leave my corporate what role. Ha- what happened there? Do you mind uh, asking? No, you can ask away. Um, it was a neural and still is a neural condition where my brain just decided not to talk to a particular part of my body. So it um, certainly gives you a different perspective on life when you can't quite trust that your body will go the distance. So I left my job and I was trading already. Luckily, I'd already worked out how to do that. Mm. I traded with a pen in my mouth so I could tap the computer board and and press that speed dial on my phone so I could get (laughs) to my broker. And 
thank goodness I already knew how to trade. I think sometimes we need to put those foundations in of basic skill sets just in case. So in my situation, I was incredibly blessed in order to leave my role and then not skip a beat. I was able to become a full-time trader and eventually write some books and help some people and enjoy life in a different way, but still certainly where I still had value and purpose where I was earning and it has stood me in good stead. So yeah, trading is right up there with oxygen for me. Awesome, awesome. Okay, that's good. Let's 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 dig a little bit deeper though, because um, like that was good, high level. Okay, you had a corporate job, you learned how to trade, then you were able to become a full time trader. Life's good. Yeah, you, you, you know, yeah, that was a, you were able to do that whilst you, whilst you face some uh, physical challenges. Um, okay, but uh, let's go back a little bit further. Where did you Where did you grow up? You know, what was the what was your background? Like, not everyone does this, right? Because essentially, what you've been able to do is turn something that you're I would suggest evidently passionate about, right? As you mentioned, trading is like oxygen to you. So I'd say that I would suggest that that implies that you're quite passionate about it. Um, and just for the benefit of the listener, what we're talking about, we're talking about trading, we're talking about trading shares. So we're going to, going to dig into a little bit more detail around that, you know, what types of shares, frequency of trade. I'm interested in that kind of stuff, that kind of detail. But let's go all the way back. Like where did, where did you grow up and how did you develop, how did you start to develop an interest in this type of stuff? Yeah, look, I grew up in Melbourne and definitely a Melbourne girl. My family were actually originally from overseas. My mum mm-hmm. was Sri Lankan and my dad was South African and there's a big English background there too. So I think as the child of immigrants, there were definitely some pressures on. It was expected that you'd do well. Dad had his own business and we grew up pretty poor. It was Mm. a situation where every cent counted, mum did without. I saw that and I did not want that at all. So in round about my year 11 level, my dad, who had been trading and not trading the markets well, had a windfall profit in gold. All of a sudden, our lives changed. We moved suburb. We bought a car. We even bought a boat. It was such a marked difference from my early childhood Mm. to my late teenage childhood. It caught my attention and I wanted to do that. I wanted to be able to create money out of thin air. I wanted to earn the same as my salary, but then to not have to work a second job. So that moment, I think when we moved into that first new big house on the water with the beautiful view overlooking the new boat, that turned my head. I remember standing on my balcony going, I want this. I want this for my life. I want to have money. I want to be rich. I don't want to have to struggle. And I want to be independent. And at that stage as well, clearly, you know, things alter and I am married now and I've got two kids. But I thought I don't ever want to be reliant on any one person to bring money into my household. And now my husband and I are a team. He looks after property. I look after the markets. The two dovetail in so beautifully. But at that stage, I made a decision. Interesting. Okay. Do you mind me asking where you moved to when you when your dad had that big windfall? We moved to Patterson Lakes. So that was the up and coming suburb. Certainly had the big blocks, had the good view. We moved they from- still got, is it still in the family, that property? No, no. Um, that's all it all changed and they moved away. But 
I moved home very quickly after that because there were some family issues and, frankly, Dad was an alcoholic, so I had to get out of there. But noticing that change, I think the contrast, sometimes Mm. we do need to know that, hey, there is something that we can do that is a little bit different, might not be mainstream, it might not be the usual path, Mm. but it is possible to travel that path and to do well. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing, right, because putting yourself in a position of change. Like, so you were, you were, you got taken along with a change event, right? So you did yes. had a big windfall and then all of a sudden everything around you changed and then your perspectives changed, right? You went, wait, hang on a second. This happened quickly and uh, we've gone from here to here. And I think that's a really interesting thing to, for people to understand as well. I, I like, so I, I deliberately um, force myself to normalize, uh, you know, the things that I want, right? So it could be as simple as like walking around, uh, the marinas and looking at the big boats and just kind of like I call it I call, I call it a walk a, a, a living vision board basically I try and you know immerse myself but you can do things like that you can kind of create those change events in micro so you can start to embed that opportunity and that possibility in your mind as well um, okay so I'm interested and so um, okay so you deal with the you deal with the uh, the share side of things and um, and your husband deals with the property side of things yes so what we've done is we've separated out across time frames so if you think long term medium term and short term mm. okay so property is clearly the longer term bucket um, that is really a focus for things that we buy we do up we rent out mm. then that medium term <clears throat> focus is where we'll buy a block of land smash what's on there, build three units, for example. Mm. And the shorter term, property can't really fulfil that. So the short term and medium term is where I'll I'll come into play here, where I'm looking at cash flow and wealth creation. So we do have some shares also in our super, but there's always a little bit of a struggle, a bit of a war about who gets the money. So often it's me earning the money and then my husband investing the money in property and then me investing <laughs> the money in so, the market. So you make yeah. it and he spends it. That's it. That's it. I think it's so common, isn't it? Often yeah. the person who's earning it is not the one who is actually... <laughs> <laughs> in yeah, charge of the broader view. But mm. I also think it's that's also a really important aspect of teamwork because I know a lot of couples yeah. uh, that are, you know, either maybe, maybe you know, I can think of I can think of half a dozen examples of where there's there's a business and maybe one partner will run the business and focus on that and make make the money for lack of a better term. Yes. Then the other partner is basically kind of like the portfolio manager. They're the ones that are like, right, okay, how are we going to invest this? What are we going to do? And so that's a job in and of itself. So it's not like so oh, someone makes it, someone spends it. It's about understanding what roles do we play to achieve our our long term goals. And I think it's really important that. That, that people kind of get comfortable with that and go, okay, what's the best, who's got the best aptitude in what, right? And I'll be moving towards the same destination. I actually think that's really, really cool. And I think there's also some advice that our accountant gave us. Um, my business partner's Chris Tate, who you have had on the show. Yep. He gave Chris Tate and I this, I'm saying Chris Tate because Chris Tate is my business partner. Chris Bedford is my husband, okay? Got so it, good, 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 thank yes. you. Good, thank you Just for that differentiation. <laughs> so my accountant actually said, in terms of Chris Tate and my business, tradinggame.com.au, he said, the problem with the two of you, this is going back 25 years, he Mm. said, Louise, here are your responsibilities and, Chris, here are your responsibilities and there's almost a direct overlap. Your goal is to actually separate that 
Venn diagram mm. overlap so that there's only minimal overlap between the two of you so that you've still got things that you're working on together, but mm. you can look over and admire what the other person is doing mm. and you're not stepping on each other's toes and there is a clear delineation and very few power struggles. Now, mm. taking that Venn diagram idea from a business perspective and applying that to my marriage, that has worked really well also because mm. my husband and I wanted to be full-time parents, which we are with our two children. We wanted to be able to travel and drop everything so that we can actually mm. still have a portable business. And yep. we wanted to be able to have people around us who are big thinkers that in a circle of friends where you can trust that we're on the same page and that we're on the same path. So there were some core values, both with my marriage and with my business, that I predefined with the people involved and we work together to achieve. Mm, okay. That's awesome. I'm loving that. My mind's already gone to thinking about the different risk profiles, so to be honest, right? Yes. So one of the things that I'm trying to understand, right, because obviously we talk about um, property investing and, and you know, the returns that you can get from property because of leverage, right? The returns that you get from property, I think, are, well, they're exceptional. Our clients systematically get around 70% return on invested capital a year, right? It's mental. I'm trying to understand what what what's the appeal with trading? You know, like how it, it seems risky. Do you want to talk uh, to that for a minute? Do you know so many things seem risky until we actually get to know what that is about? So for me, when I started out trading, just remember that I was 20 years old. So it's not like I could have saved a lot of money at that stage. And it took three years for me to break even. So I was no child prodigy at this. I needed something that I could have as a more portable vehicle that I could easily get started with. So if you compare with fees to begin with, right now, fees for getting involved in the share market, about 20 bucks. So there's a bit of a sliding scale, but let's look at that. And last time I had a look with property, I popped in a couple of figures in preparation for this call. If you put in for a Melbourne property, the median price currently in Melbourne is one2 two mil, depending on the moment that you do that. So I decided let's go for a $750,000 place. So the fees that came back out of that, a minimum of $42,000 in government fees, and that doesn't take into account the mortgage registration fee, the loan application fee, lender's mortgage insurance. Oh, my gosh. Mm. So from that age that I started, the fees just precluded me from getting involved in property. And because dad had already turned my mind onto, hey, there's mm. money in trading, the fees were the one thing that blocked me out from property yep. to begin with. And I guess there's some other comparisons as well. You know, it's interesting that you say that a lot of your people are making money out of property because the thing is, I don't think it has to be a choice of one or the other. I think no, I, I actually agree with you. I think it's I think yeah. it's smart. I think it's smart to think about. I mean, I've I've got some shares as well. Like I'm not just mm. a one-eyed property kind of person. But yeah, go on. Sorry. So often we're binary in our decision making, and it, it mm. isn't it's not the way to go. So I think to be able to work out how you can dovetail those two asset classes in together, it's a great mm. way. And if we have a think about in terms of who makes money out of trading and the investing in the share market, often mm. it's the same sort of person who makes money 
out of property. So the best traders that I've trained are ones who've come from a property background. They've already got that mindset. Mm. What do you, can we, sorry, I want to ask, for, I'm really interested in digging into that, like what the mindset similarities are between the two. Yeah. But can I just, I want to dig in a little bit further into the, um, into the kind of success profile in trading. Like, because you mentioned your dad, and I'm not suggesting he's the model trader or whatever, um, but you mentioned he wasn't particularly a good trader and then had a big windfall. Yeah. So, um, what is the kind of success rate? Like, because obviously the the return, it's all about risk reward, right? So the returns could be enormous, right? You know, for example, if you buy a thousand dollars worth of worth of uh, shares and then they go up by a thousand percent, or whatever, you know, like you can you can make a lot of money, right? But the, surely there's a high failure rate as well. So what's that? What does that look like? Look, I think there is. I think with anything in life, the majority of people give up too early. They don't back themselves. They don't give themselves the correct tools to be able to ensure success and they don't seek out a mentor. So Mm. there's some very basic things that you can do at the very beginning before you place a dollar into the markets, before you actually even decide to become that successful trader. So some of those aspects, I do feel people in property neglect as well. So I don't know quite what the figures are. You do hear that, you know, it's an 80-20, 80% of the people quit, 20% of the people hang around. Who knows what they really are because it depends on your data set and your database. But I do think it is simpler and easier than the majority of people realise if they have three things in place. And now let's talk about those three things and we'll see from your perspective if they compare to property. Okay, so the, what are they? The first thing is you need an effective system. So your system in the share market is mm. your entry, your exit and your position sizing. So how to get in, how to get out and how much money to place in a trade. Mm. So that's number one, system. The next thing is psychology. So how do you think about the markets? How do you handle yourself? Can you trade that system? Have you been able to internalise those principles so that when the markets are open and things are running hot and heavy, that you can still think and you can still be clear and effective and execute your trading plan? And the third one is maintenance. So with maintenance, this is once you've got positions in the market and they're they're going and you've got a portfolio, what do you do to maximise your performance? Do you set really close stops so that you're a quick trader in and out and in and out? That increases your burnout rate and statistically you're not going to make more money that way. Or do you set a wider stop where you give yourself some breathing space? You allow yourself to be able to have that time to make decisions. Do you use an anti-martingale system? Anti-Martingale is actually from the gambling industry. It means that when you're on a cluster of wins that you keep increasing your bet size. Now, in the markets, when you're on a cluster of wins, then are your next positions larger? Because that is actually a beautiful way to protect yourself. If you have a cluster of losses, the position sizes get smaller. So that's part of maintenance. That's really interesting. That's that's a really interesting concept. So as you... Because I would have thought the statistic, like if you take the gambling kind of approach to it, right? Let's say you're playing blackjack, right? And you've had a yeah. cluster of wins. The the theory is that you start betting more. I would have probably said if I've had a cluster of wins, the probability of me continuing to win is decreasing every time I win. Therefore, I should be more measured with my uh, with my bet sizes so I don't overexpose myself. You know, it's 
Yeah, there's been a lot of studies into how an anti-martingale system works. The majority of people, it's their mindset that makes them back off. It's not actually the data and the statistics. So that concept about a cluster of wins, sometimes you can be so in sync with the market. It's such a shame if you actually back off at that stage. Mm. I've had pretty much every single year that I've traded for the last, I don't know, 32 years, Every year, I've only had two or three huge outsized wins per year. Now, let that sink in. So, okay, that's good to know, right? So, you've, yeah. this is good, right? So, every year, you have two or three outsized wins. Yes. How, how many times roughly, right? How many times roughly do you not win or lose or, you know, what's the... So my hit rate at the moment, and this sounds appalling to a property person, but it's currently 48%. So 48% of the time I will win. Now, why is it that I'm still here saying, hey, I can hold my head up as a share trader? Mm. It's because on those wins, I win a lot. Yeah, yeah. What's, the losses, what's, yeah, what's the ratio? Like, let's say yeah. you get $10, like, are you on average, every time you lose, you might lose 52% of the time, but if you're only losing 10%, Every time you lose, then every time you win, you're making 150%. Do you, I'm sorry, I'm very data-driven. I might be asking the wrong question. No, whatever, this is exactly the right question. Uh, we call it R. So R is like the amount of loss that you've premeditated that you're going to take mm. before you even get into a trade. So a one-hour loss is you got out where you said you were going to get out. If you've made a two-hour loss, it's mean that you, it means you skipped your stop loss. You were very, very bad on that day and you didn't get out when your system said to exit. So if you make a one-hour loss, we measure profit in terms of R. Mm. If you make a 10-hour profit, it means you've made 10 times the amount that you put at risk. So we're looking to get outsized gains. Like so when me, you say you make a one-hour loss, right, so that, that, it, does that imply that it's um, 100% of the total capital put in, right? So if you put in 10 or what do, you, what do you mean? No, no, no. We always use a percentage rule. So there's a risk of getting too complicated. I'll, I'll summarise at the That's end. That's good. So we're looking at percentages, okay, because percentages yeah. are able to be elastic as your yeah. equity increases and decreases. So I'm looking at a 0.5% loss. So out of my entire portfolio, I've got $100,000. I'm going yeah. to risk, so potential to lose, $500. So that's my one R. So if I risk $500, but I come out with $50,000, for example, I come out with $5,000. That you seems can like see a very low, R's. that seems like a very low risk file. If you've got, if yes. you've got 10, if you've got 10 grand, right, then you're prepared to, you're prepared to risk 0.5% of that. Yes. So the way that works. I would have thought it'd be like five or 10%. I would have thought it'd be way higher. The risk though, this is the thing. It's, it's, it's called the risk of ruin, you know, we've yeah. got to be careful about what we want the other side to look like. Just because you're starting with a particular position size doesn't mean you can't add to it. I know this yeah. is different with property. So if you're onto a winner and you've invested, let's say you've put in $5,000 because the figures have worked out that it's $5,000 to invest, as that share goes up, you keep putting more money towards it. So mm. your eventual position could be huge because you've pyramided into it. That is a big difference with property. So how do you one of the things with one of the things with um shares is that 
it's very it seems like a little bit of a black art right you just don't know like you could you could wake up one day and the ceo of the company could have gotten drunk and smashed up a restaurant and then the share price is going to drop down i mean you've sort of got no control one of the benefits of property is it's a lot more stable right you, you don't have the ceo of the household running a market causing a pr uh, causing a PR issue that's going to devalue your property, right? It's probably not going to happen, right? You could get bad tenants, but not really, uh, not really a big issue. So, how do you actually know? How do you actually know when to get in or when to get out? Yeah, so you've covered a couple of areas there. I just want to bring you back to something called the Kelly Principle. So the Kelly Principle is where we don't put more than twenty five percent of our total equity into one position for that very specific risk issue. So I was in a share, I'll give you an example. I was in a share called Futurist and it fell from the sky. There was a massive gap. Down it went. I didn't have any chance to be able to exit that, but I only had 13% of my capital in that share. If I had have had 50% in that, mm. oh, my goodness. So that's where we have to use very sound principles to assist us. Mm. Now, in terms of your other question about when to get in and when to get out, there are some methods. They're very easy to understand. You do need to sort of draw them out, though. So I think it might be beyond the scope to be able to cover every single Yeah, okay, method. got it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. It's interesting because I'm thinking about um, – what is – because the, there's the hedge fund versus ETF argument, right? So yeah. there's the there's the – you know, all of the stats out there say that you know all of these super high paid hedge funds and stuff who make big bets and they're active they're active traders and all of that kind of stuff statistically underperform uh, a, a benchmark ETF right mm. so what what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on that and i've got some follow up questions to that look i think it's incredible that a lot of these so called professionals still have a job mm. yeah <laughs> like what the heck i actually think it is much better for you to gain control get those methods yourself learn how to do this and outperform the hedge fund managers so mm. etfs are fantastic because often they'll include a basket of particular instruments, either it's currencies or it might be shares, it could be indices. Mm. So that basket has a cushioning effect and it's a great way to get started in the markets to begin trading. So a lot of this information is really readily available. You don't have to turn to these so-called professionals that keep underperforming the markets other than maybe when you're 20. You know, if you want to start, then sure, you know, hand it over, hand the money over. You've got time on your side. You can hope and, and wish that they were going to do something good mm. with your money, maybe learn a little bit along the way. But really, as we move through those initial stages of being a beginner, we need to harness the power of reading books associating with people who know what they're doing, who have longevity in the markets mm -hmm. and having that conservative view that I know a lot of your listeners already have because they are successful in property, yeah. using that to translate to a different vehicle. If you can do one thing well, you're likely to do another thing well. The way we mm. do one thing is the way we approach everything. So yeah. it can be harnessed and you can actually transfer. Totally. Um, so... I'm interested then the types of shares that you're focusing on or in your in your experience so let's let's talk about that is it better to focus on um, large cap mid cap or small cap because I know 
I've I've had I've taken some punts, right? So we just call them punts, right? Because they're not really that. I haven't really done any. But I've taken some punts on some small caps because I've I've got a tip, right? And sometimes it's worked out pretty well. You know, you make one hundred and fifty percent gain in a very short period of time and stuff like that. And you um, feel like a hero, don't you? Oh, yeah, God. Oh <laughs> Look my God. at me. You, you know, you should you should have seen the first time that it happened. I was telling Gabby, I'm a genius. I've cracked like, whoop, the code. Whoop. I was like, oh, and then, and then I don't know, like two weeks later, that one that had gone up 150% had gone down 160%. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. yeah. That like, which goes straight up often goes straight down. It's just unfortunate how that works. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> what's like, is there a, like, the kind of kind of wound in with this question, right? Is kind of like where we, should we be looking at small, middle, large, right? It was because there's obviously different risk profiles and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. And what's, like you mentioned earlier about the kind of barrier to entry with property, which is true, right? It costs, costs a lot more to get into property. What's the kind of, if somebody wanted to start trading, what what kind of, what's the minimum entry point, I guess? Like how much, you mentioned the Cali principle, not putting more than 25%, but if you've got a hundred bucks, like you're going to put 25 bucks on a trade, probably not, right? Yeah, so if you've got a hundred bucks, you need to actually save you have to yeah. learn first principles here. The person with the most money wins if they're trading the same system and that system is losing. So we do need to be aware that we are going to have a hit in terms of our equity when we start. Every single trader, every single system starts out with a bit of a dip because you take your losses first and it takes a while for those ones that are in profit to move through and for you to exit those. So you have to withstand that hit. So I know some people say $500. I don't see successful business people open a business for $500. No. I don't see successful property people open a property portfolio for $10,000. I suggest that you start with a minimum of $15,000. Give yourself some time to learn this. Allow for that dip. That way you're not going to blow your head off when you realise you've lost 50% of your money. Oh, my God, I can't go on. We need to be adults about this. We need to first of all save, then work out a strategy to be able to invest. So mm. the people who start with, say, the $15,000 to $50,000, that seems to be a good medium type of level. But if you're really serious about this and you want to make this a part of your future and you want to be able to have that flexibility of being mm. a trader and travelling around the world and trading from those exotic islands, you have to treat this with the intention that it deserves you need fifty thousand dollars to do this really well to kick off interesting interesting so that really to start with success it's probably not radically different from a property portfolio really right you know like in general terms yeah yeah in general terms well let's talk about mindset though because what you you mentioned a couple of things there look 15 grand good entry point um you know 15 to 50 right We'll, we'll use the 15 grand for for the moment but you've sort of got to be prepared for the fact that you're going to suck <laughs> at first. You will. And you're probably going to lose a bunch of money, <laughs> right? Which, you know, is all good theoretically, but when you're losing money and it's very likely that you're going to shit yourself and basically yeah. say, no, I'm out. I, this is not working for me and I'm going to quit. Now, that's obviously a mindset thing. And that's the, I think that, I think the number one reason businesses fail is mindset. People just get, they lose track of things. They don't think big enough and they, they don't have the resilience. Um, probably the same thing goes with property. Less, if you buy well, it's less likely that you're going to lose money. But certainly there's other mindset things like, like, you know, it could take a long time or maybe you are going to face challenges. Maybe all of a sudden the roof needs to be, you know, there are things that are going to, rec- that are going to test your resilience. 
So let's talk about mindset then, because how do you develop how do you develop a mindset that gets comfortable with potentially starting an endeavor and maybe losing 50% of your cash? Well, first of all, we need to be able to build some boundaries about how much our losses are going to cost us. Mm. So there is a figure for you, and this is a really important one, and it comes back to the concept that if you lose 25% of your money, unfortunately, it's going to take you 33.3% in terms of profit on the remainder of your money in order to come back to break even. Mm. Okay, so it doesn't seem fair, does it? Doesn't that sound mm. awful? You lose 25%, but you have to make 33% to get back to where you were before. So taking that into account, that's where if you lose 25% of your money, you need to have a premeditated course of action. So if then statements work beautifully, this is ripped off from the weight loss industry, lots of data on behavioral change. If then, so if I lose 25% of my mm. overall equity, then I will stop entering new positions and I will seek the authority that I've chosen and written down in my trading plan. So for a lot of people's higher authority, it's me and my business partner, Chris Tate. So mm. am I doing things right? You know, at what point should I be worried? All of those questions come out at that 25% mark. So if you allow yourself to lose 50%, then really shame on you. It means you haven't educated yourself. Mm. You haven't realised what a big dip like that is going to cost you. It's going to cost you yeah. 100%. You have to make 100% on the remainder of your mm -hmm. money to get back to where you were before. So that tipping point of 25%, it's important to set a boundary around that and then to seek help if you get to that point. Yeah, it kind of sounded the kind of classic thing that like the DIY investors, whether it be in shares of property or whatever, the DIY investors are typically the ones that don't that don't outperform because they're not getting the right guidance and advice. Um, that's certainly what I've seen as well because the amount of people who have come to us who have tried tried to go it alone and really just not found any success in property and they maybe have lost money or maybe just have. They're at point zero, which is essentially lost money, right? Because of inflation, yeah. uh, versus getting some professional guidance and advice. So that that sounds like sound sound a sound strategy. Um, you keep talking about the, you keep using the word system. Mm. Is the in in the way that you're using it? Is it just kind of like a, a a process document? Like, okay, if this happens, then I'll do this. Or is there like some kind of deeper element to creating a system? Because I know that some people have built trading algorithms and stuff like that do you do you do you are you familiar with that kind of stuff what do you yeah, think about that yeah i definitely am i think the goal regardless of how you're going to approach the markets is to be as mechanical as possible and in mm. fact i've even got my little friend here stockbot He's my little robot friend. He lives on my desk. Now, Stockbot is there to remind me to be mechanical at all times. So if we think of how this little bloke would trade, he would trade according to a program. It would be binary. It would be yes or no. It would be I've taken a loss. I'm not even going to change my expression because 
on the stock bot. So that type of mechanical trading, I think, is very, very important. To be able to have a system that you've looked back into the past, it has worked in the past, therefore it's likely to work in the future, that's very important. To have something Mm. that's robust, there's Monte Carlo system where you've tested each variable against each variable regardless of the time frame. So let's say you've got three trades, trade one, trade two, trade three. You Mm. take them in that order and then you take two, one, three, and then three, two, one, and three, one, two. So it's impossible to do that just yourself. You can't Monte Carlo system check your own system. It'll take you 50 years. So Mm. we do need to have some help, either people who've done it before, who've done this sort of thing and they can guide Mm. you, or you need to have a background in stats. Now, I've got four years at uni in stats and even Mm. then some of the things are beyond me. I just go, wow. So we've got a systems tester that we've employed who has got that upper level Mm. MBA, all of the nice ducks in a row there and the software. So there is a lot to it. You can start in a very simple way, but if you want to become incredibly proficient, make sure that you're consistent, beat those markets every single time. You need to come under somebody's wing or you need to develop a hell of a lot of information yourself mm. which can be tricky totally it can be super tricky we we so we embarked on that endeavor because we we wanted to basically the whole reason that gabby and i started on this path was because we made a mistake and probably lost a bunch of money right and yeah, there so we go. it was like yeah. oh okay hang on a second that just didn't work how could we make this work and this this curiosity has led us to continuously try and decode the property market now we have a team of data scientists full-time and all of this kind of stuff and Oh my God! The volume of data that we we ingest every month. With. <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah, yeah, it's 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 tremendous. It's like something like yeah. around about around about five million unique data points every month is getting digested, and then we have a whole team who are like PhD data scientists who are just ingesting that and then trying to find the related information so we can decode it, which is obviously outside of the scope of the average punter. So, But it's why people come to you. You You know, you've got your access is superior to what their access is. So they come to you for guidance. You're their shortcut. You've helped them tiptoe through that minefield. They Mm. don't have to do what you've done because you're there and you're existing to be able to assist them. So it sounds like a great symbiotic relationship. Totally. So talk to me about how you maintain a positive mindset because as you mentioned earlier you went through a you went through a phase where you you lost um you, you lost the ability to use your hands and, and yeah. arms and stuff and okay and then you started trading with a pen in your mouth okay so that's obviously there's some pretty strong mindset stuff there in terms of resilience uh positivity uh tenacity all of that kind of stuff and then what you do as the what you do to generate capital is is risky, right? There's risk elements to it, right? So how do you, what, what kind of tips, tricks, tools, habits, affirmations, like what do you, what do you do to kind of like keep that rock solid mindset? Yeah. It is interesting because I, I take on what you're saying that there is risk in what I'm mm. doing, but I felt when I had a corporate job, that was far more risky than this. Mm. You know, they took my job away from me because I couldn't move my hands. Now, I even hired a carer to come with me to open doors and take me to the loo that I paid for, not them, and they said, no, no, we can't have this. It doesn't look very good 
doesn't oh, look very good, for God. goodness sake. So every Christmas I had to retrench people in that job and it was terrible. It was December 14th usually. That was retrenchment day at that multinational. And That's I brutal. Lit- I know. It was just hideous. I remember retrenching one guy. His wife was eight months pregnant, like Hideous. So for me, risk is a relative thing. That to me felt much more risky. Yeah, because you're not in control, right? That's it. That's it. Much more risky than what I'm doing now. So I think we have to be careful about what we've been brought up with because, you know, go to uni, get a job. That's supposed to be safe. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I I think that is a little bit of a, a different wealth mindset no, so let's absolutely. look at the, I, I, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with you and I think we're, we're on the same page there like that's mm. what you know we're helping people to break out of that kind of stuff as well so maybe like re- re- replace that and just kind of un- understanding that it takes a certain amount of resilience to be able to understand uh you know some of the some of the machinations of things that go into trading so mm. sometimes you win sometimes you lose and all of that kind of stuff how do you how do you Going back to the point, like how do you how do you build a winning mindset around all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think it has to come to the point where within you decide to carry an invincible summer. Now, this was a, a poem that I read. I don't even know who wrote it. So if one of your listeners knows, please pop it into the comments. I've definitely carried this with me. That in the depths of winter, if you carry that invincible summer with you, nobody can take it away. So I definitely carried that when I had my arm condition. And more recently, when it's cropped up in a different way, I couldn't speak. I've just this is why it took so long for me to come onto the show, Goose. I lost the ability to speak. It's taken me two years to be able to do interviews again. Wow. Um, so similar neural condition, once you've got something wrong, then often crops up again, doesn't it? Yeah. So knowing that I had a core of strength, that that summer was in my control, nobody can take that away from me, that's important. So how do we do that? How do we develop that? I think a lot of it comes down to working out why. Why do you want to do what you're doing? What is going to get you out of bed on those cold winter mornings? What's mm. going to make you persist when you're starting to feel like you're useless and you don't have an identity and you no longer have a role? Mm. What is it that it's going to drive you on. And one of the things I do always suggest to people is that they create their own mission statement. So way back when, before I'd even put money into the share market, I went to a, it was like a property business shares type of seminar where they get up and there's a guy from the stage and everybody's cheering and oh it's so exciting so the thing that I remember from that night was he said that you need to have a spread into one or two or three of property shares business Mm. okay let's break that down and also you need to work out why you're doing what you're doing so for me the mission statement part of the mission statement that I wrote down that night when I was 19 was to inspire others by leading by example. Mm. Now, that to me has been a guiding light. That's one of the reasons why I set up tradinggame.com.au with my business partner and why I give away so many free resources. Mm. And that to me is when I was feeling miserable last year when I had no sound coming out of my voice box at all. I couldn't communicate. I wrote down to my husband. I said, one day this will be an asset. Mm. 
So I do think we need to search within and realise the things that we can control, we can control. We can Mm. control our attitude. We can control our trajectory. And when things go wrong, we can work out how we can use those as a tool. Interesting. Yeah, I love I love that. I totally agree. I totally agree with everything that you that you said there. Because I think that's the that's the key differentiating point, right? Like the the difference between the difference that between those who find success and those who don't, it really comes down to mindset. There's really no yeah. there's really no other you know, you you have a, a periodically lost ability to use parts of your body, right? And so what I was gonna say is like we all have a body, we all have a brain, we all have the same facilities. And and so really, everyone has the opportunity to create whatever they want. They have the ability to to manifest, uh, for not in a not in just in some kind of quasi woo woo type type whatever, but manifest through thoughts and actions to actually get to an outcome. I think I really think that the the thing that the only thing that really dif- differentiates people who find success, no matter what their pursuit, whether it be business or property or sport or share trading or whatever, really comes down to mindset and building that mindset of that resilience and that op- that optimism along the way. So it really does, and I think a big thing that both property shares business, the mm. big thing that people have to overcome is ego. You know, mm. I think ego is such a difficult path there because we need enough ego to say that we're worthy and that we need to get involved with this because we do deserve more in life and we want to be better than the mediocre people sitting on their couch watching Netflix. We need that type of ego. But the difficulty is that if we make a mistake and we don't learn from it because of reasons mm. of ego, we're destined to repeat that mistake again and again. Mm. So I think that is one of the aspects that I'm really pretty sure it's driven through fear to be open with you but yeah. when i make mistakes i analyze them and really do i repeat a mistake yeah yeah i yeah, find good, a new good. mistake <laughs> yeah yeah look mistakes are awesome like mistakes are great as long as you learn from them like yeah, I, 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 I think it's, yeah. yeah i think i think failing is failing is critical because nobody can't always success but i wouldn't suggest people go out and try and fail but it is a critical pathway to success because you have to be able to learn from it so you can improve yeah. right and so- eventually time plus tragedy equals humor so yeah. many years ago i did convince chris tate and i did this as well we both put in a hell of a lot of money into a friend's business. I'd known this friend for 11 years. He went over and spent our $500,000 investment in his business on Ukrainian prostitutes. Crikey. Yeah. Yeah, pleasant. So we didn't see that money again. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But what did we learn from this? We learned we had to do more due diligence before we invest. We also learned that sometimes on paper, things actually can change. So Mm. we took this person's excitement and enthusiasm and the fact that I've had a longer-term friendship with Mm. him as being evidence, we didn't actually investigate it as if he was a stranger. And I think that's really where we had to grow up as well. So these these types of mistakes, I mean, heck, I know some of your people listening will have lost money. I know some of your people listening will have had terrible problems with their bodies, terrible situations where they've been kicked out of a job, out of a home, they've lost their families. Yeah. I so get this. But in the end, what are the things that you can control? Mm. 100%. How do you define success or what does success look like for you? Choices. Mm. 
Mm. So for me, if I hadn't have been a trader, this last round where I lost my voice, I wouldn't have been able to keep a job. Mm. There's, there's no job other than something on a computer mm. where I would have been able to keep it, whereas yeah. I could take a year and a half off from my business. Mm. I didn't do interviews and certainly anything that I did vocally was extremely limited. I wouldn't have been able to have the time to be able to put the effort into the voice lessons and the procedures that I had to have done in order to be able to speak again. So I love that I've been able to create choices in my life. Everybody's choices will be different, but if you can future pace it, work out in five years, in 10 years' time, the type of person you want to be, the things Mm. you want around you, who are you waking up beside? What do you see outside your window? in five to 10 years' time? What do you look like? What are the things that that person likes to do and let Mm -hmm. yourself be led like following a golden thread to that future self? I think that method works really, really well. And I knew in five to 10 years' time, there's no way I would be sitting there silent. I couldn't couldn't do that. I have to be able to learn how to speak again. So Mm -hmm. I have, and I mean, it took you know, two years, but it's mm. better than the five, 10 year plan that I had in my head. Yeah, yeah, t- totally. So mm. now, and that's a really interesting one because I, we've, our business has been growing. We've been hiring people. It's great. It's wonderful. One of the questions I often ask people when I'm interviewing them is not, oh, wh- where do you see yourself in the next, you know, five years or what do you want it? Who do you want to become? Yes, in that's the- it. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's I usually it. ask. People are just like, whoa, I haven't even thought, what do you mean? Who do, who do I want? Who do you want to become in the next five to 10 years? Yeah. And it's a very different question that leads to very different answers, right? So um, I love awesome. that. That's absolutely my zinger because I think with what you're doing there, you're instituting a change that's coming from within that has mm. that ripple effect in people's lives to the things externally because yep. change begins from within first and you're the one who's actually instituting that. You're draw- drawing that out of people. Very powerful question. Love it. 100%. Okay, so we're going we're, we're gonna to move towards finishing up now, but I want to ask a question um, uh, that we've just started instigating. Now, I'm not um, just for the listener, I've actually ripped this out of uh, somebody else's podcast, but it was so good, right? That it's a <laughs> that it's a question that I have started to ask people, and I find it really, really uh, insightful and uh, and impactful, right? So, Louise, walk with me here. Visualize this, right? So, imagine it's your last day on Earth, right? Yes. You're you're on your deathbed, right? And ev- everything you've achieved in your life, everything that your heart and mind desires, you've achieved the whole lot. You've written all the books, you've built all the wealth, you've traveled everywhere, you've done all the stuff. There's statues that have been made for you. Wow, you've just, it's amazing. But in an instant, for, for whatever reason, right, the moment you pass away, everything that you have done, everything you've created, aside from your family, right, maybe, uh, is going to disappear in an instant. Nothing, there'll be no, no, nothing, no evidence that you ever existed, gone, right? But the only thing you can leave behind is three simple truths. What truths would they be? You know, when you first asked me about this prior to the call, I really had to stop and think. So this is a brilliant question. Mm. So the first one is if you stumble, you don't have to fall. And if you fall, you don't have to stay on the ground. Nice. The next one is make the money and then you can write the rules. Oh, I like that one. 
I also and like you had a bit of a fierce look on your face when you said that. You were like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of a backstory to that one. Yeah. And the other one, which we have talked about already today, is control the things that you can control. Amazing. Amazing. Love it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. They're, Do they're, you want a statue to yourself? See, I just don't. I think my sphere of influence is actually leaving things within people. That exterior thing doesn't attract me quite so much. No, I'm I not that interested in having I could imagine a statue, Goose. I could. I could, I could go there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't have any aspirations for a statue <laughs> at all. No, no, I, I do. You know what? You know what, though? Um, I spent quite a lot of time in the UK and um, I was in a really small town in Scotland and there was a, and this kind of like, it was a really small town, but it had this really big, beautiful I can't remember if it was a library or like town hall, but it was like big, st- or amazing in this tiny little hick seaside village where everything else was run down and pretty rough, right? Now, the plaque on it, though, was really interesting because it had been bequeathed to the, the town by this guy who he'd only gone to school there for like a couple of years, right? But he was impacted by the school where he learned maths. He then ended up becoming a, a quite influential banker, I think investment banker actually. So probably not, you know, a bit of share trader maybe. Um, and he'd become extremely wealthy, right? And so he wanted to to give back. And, and I just thought it was really, I thought it was quite profound, right? He'd only been at school there for like two years, but he decided he wanted to he decided he it was so impactful to him that he really wanted to give something something that massive and on that scale, you know, big stone blocks and just the kind of thing that it cost millions and millions, right? And yeah, I, I, I like the idea of of um, uh, permanence in that respect, yeah, of being able to give back. Um, but I'm not particularly vain enough to want to. I don't think any, I don't think anyone wants a statue of me anyway. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, all good, Louise. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you so much. Um, where can people go to find out a little bit more about you, or if they're interested in um, trading and doing all that kind of stuff, and they want to make sure they've got the right team around them so they don't fail and they find success? Where would they go? Come and visit me at tradinggame.com.au, tradinggame.com.au. And if you register your details, which I'm sure you will, because if you're already in property and you've been following along with Goose's values and everything that Goose's team is telling you, this is how to ensure success. My values and my business partner's values are so similar. So you'll find yourself at home. You can register your details and I'll send you my free trading plan template so you know what to put into your trading plan and that will very much ensure success. And also I'll send you my free audio five-part e-course called Trading Mm. Made Simple. So come and visit me, tradinggame.com.au. Amazing. I might do that myself because i got to say I was – the wheels were turning. I'm not a trader. I've just like chucked some money and a few shares. Going pretty good, actually. They're actually going okay. But I'm like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I might even go check it out myself. So you're three thank quarters you so much. of the way there, Goose. It, it really is. You've already got that risk profile. You've got the mindset. Now it's mm. just getting the right systems so that you can be brought on to even greater success. Totally awesome. Well, I look forward to it. Thanks again, and I'll speak to you soon. Pleasure.